Hello everybody, it's Trevor G. Blake from trevorgblake.com and whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, I wish you a very, very happy Christmas. I love Christmas, I'm, I'm a big kid and always have been. I've loved it since I was born. Uh, we've always had very traditional Christmases and uh, the challenge I've got this year is that my wife did Christmas really well. I mean, she, she loved it. She, got, she started to plan for it in October. I mean, she, just, she loved every aspect of it. She got so excited and I fed off her energy, I think, for 40 years. And then she died last year, uh, just before Christmas. And so this is my first Christmas kind of on my own with the build-up and the traditions and stuff. And so I had the dumb thought in October that I'm not gonna do Christmas this year that I can't compete with the way Lynn did it and I don't want to remember it that way so, so I'll do nothing, is what I thought. I even, I even contemplated going on a world cruise. And then I think I must have been slapped across the wrist from, from beyond the grave because <laughs> Lynn would not approve of that attitude. So she had no time for people that didn't like Christmas. And, um, and so I'd, I woke up one morning and decided to do the opposite and I thought, you know what, I'm going to throw myself into it and I'm going to do it as well as Lynn could do it. I can't, but I would try to do it as well as Lynn did it. And so I actually started putting my Christmas trees up in the beginning of November. <laughs> the reason I've done that is that Lynn always had the rule that Christmas cannot start until December the 1st. And we used to have this kind of ongoing negotiation whereby I would plead and beg and negotiate and try and get Christmas started earlier because I get quite excited in November. I don't really get excited for Thanksgiving because it's not a tradition I grew up with. So when Thanksgiving rolls around, I'm all ready to, you know, get the house decorated and, and start planning for Christmas, get the Christmas plates out and the Christmas crockery and all that kind of stuff. And she would say, no, can't start till December the 1st. So I thought, right, well, this year I'm on my own, so I'll start when I feel like starting. So first week in November, I had some visitors coming down and they were going to Disneyland. So I thought, well, I'll start Christmas now. So I put trees up and I, and I uh, put the uh, Sirius Radio uh, uh, Holly channel on so I could have Christmas tunes in the car and stuff like that. And it doesn't matter how many times I hear that crap, I still enjoy it. It is such nonsense, terrible lyrics. Nonsense lyrics, but we, we love it all. And so um, I, hope, I hope you have the same sort of approach to Christmas as I do, with um, almost depressing carols in the background and, uh, and, and all the traditions. So I, one of my hobbies is history. So I, I, love, I love finding out where our traditions come from. And so I've read a lot about Christmas and I think it's one of the best examples of how patterns form out of chaos. So I know if you're a Christian, how would I, how would I put that? If you're a, I mean, if you're a serious Christian listening to this, you might think this is a bit of heresy and you might want to put me on top of the Christmas tree and set fire to me and that's okay. Um, but, it, but it's not a Christian tr tradition. And um, I love that fact that the Christians adopted it because they had to. So we have to go way, way back in time. We can go back thousands of years, actually. Uh, and it's really a, a pagan festival and it's an agricultural festival. It's a winter solstice festival. And uh, the, the, best, the best example of how to celebrate Christmas are probably the Romans through their festival Saturnalia. That's the, the, god of, uh, the, the god Saturn, who was the god of agriculture. And so, so they really knew how to party, these Romans. I mean, they would take a month off and all the businesses and schools closed, which would have been really exciting for every, every family, no matter where you are in the society, that would be exciting, wouldn't it? And the slaves were freed for a month and they had role reversals. And so the slaves 
became the masters, the masters became the slaves, and they passed presents to one another, and they served each other. So, the, so now the masters are serving the slaves, and that was their way of saying thank you for, this, for the slaves. Because although slavery sounds like a terrible thing, and it is, it was a lot better than death. And the choices were when, Rome, when the Romans conquered your country, you either did what Rome said, or you weren't going to be around for very long. And so, as, as, as horrendous as it sounds, there were some of these glorious moments around the traditional festivals. And they were very hedonistic in Rome. So they had orgies and, and uh, uh, wine and beer and f you know, food coming out of their ears. And they really knew how to celebrate Christmas. And um, this is what caused concern to the Christians. So this is how this became, Christmas started to become a, a Christian tradition too. Because all of a sudden, uh, Pope Julius I is looking around and saying, where is everybody? And his assistants would say, well, sorry, mate. Sorry, Pope. Um, they're offering free wine and food. And um, who can resist that? And, you know, if you're lucky, you can be part of an orgy as well. You know, we're, we're asking people to flay themselves with a cat of nine tails. You know, <laughs> you know, it's not much fun. Christianity is not much fun at the moment. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. So Pope Julius, obviously a smart businessman and uh, a good marketer, uh, he said, oh, well, we better, we better change our attitude. So, OK, let's get some wine and let's get some food and let's see if we can get them back. And so that's how, that's how they kind of came about Christmas. And he arbitrarily chose, Pope Julius I, arbitrarily chose December the 25th. Now, obviously, December is, is, is the winter solstice. So all of these celebrations around the 21st, 22nd, where the, the, you know, daylight returns and the days, get, the days get longer. And so everyone talks about you know, rebirth and light. And so they did a similar sort of thing. So they, had, they, had this, this, so they created this story of the nativity about birth and light. And, um, and he picked December the 25th as his arbitrary date for, for doing this. Um, quite where the shepherds come in, I don't know, because there was no shepherding around the Winston Solstice because the animals were all sacrificed. There was no refrigeration. So you had to kill the animals. And it was the first time during the year you probably had meat, fresh meat. So that's why it was such a celebration. And uh, his, so, so, so Pope Julius I's version of Christmas actually caught on. And as Christianity grew, it exported to Egypt by 432 uh, AD, exported to Egypt, and then from Egypt to Europe, particularly in England and, um, and Germany. And um, prior to all of this, unbeknownst to anybody who didn't travel to Scandinavia, because that was a hard place to get to in those days, the Norse, they had their own Winston Solstice celebration, and they called it the celebration of Yule. And what they did was they chopped down a tree and they, they, you know, cleaned the tree so it looked like a massive log. And then they set fire to the massive log and it took 12 days to burn. And that's how you get the 12 days of Christmas. And also, not by chance, I suspect, they also sacrificed all their animals around about the time, that time, because animals would have required, you know, feeds during the winter when there's no pasture for them to feed on. And so they couldn't, you know, you couldn't, in those days, couldn't afford it, no refrigeration. So they sacrificed the animals or, or slaughtered the animals and they had meat for the first time. But they also had been making beer and wine through the year and it's a fermentation process and the fermentation was complete round about the winter solstice. So the Norse were all, all a little bit like the Romans. They knew how to party. They knew how to have a good time. And so we get a lot of our traditions from the Romans and from the Norse. And most of it was copied by the, by the Christians, of course. And Christmas kind of caught on everywhere. 
and it turned up in England in the sixth century, and it, it just got bigger and bigger, and and uh, was was a true winter celebration, a true harvest celebration, if you like, a winter solstice, solstice celebration, um, until the world's first Grinch came along, and the world's first Grinch uh, went by the name of Oliver Cromwell. And I think something must have happened to him when he was a child, because he was a right misery. And um, he thought there was too much decadence in England, and he wanted to get rid of all this decadence. And so he cancelled Christmas. He outlawed it. This made him quite unpopular. I mean, you can outlaw Christmas, but don't take our food and our wine and our beer away from us. Okay, so he did that. And uh, it wasn't long before Charles II was reinstated, and the first thing Charles II did was, hey guys, let's have Christmas again. And so he became quite popular very quickly. So very, very smart man. And um, and so Christmas was kind of reborn and rebirthed, but it never really took off the same way as, as it had been because we're at the same time here, 1645 in England, just before then, 1620, you've got the pilgrims moving from, you know, everyone says from England to America. They didn't. They, of course, they, they had been kicked out of England by, uh, by, by the Reformation and they'd gone to Holland and started their own cults in Holland, came back, got supplies in Plymouth and then travelled and started the new Plymouth on the eastern seaboard. Well, they made Oliver Cromwell look like a party animal. They were that Puritan and, and that miserable and boring. And um, they actually outlawed Christmas in Boston. And there's a, there's, there's a written rule. You can, see, you can uh, you know, read copies of this now online, if you like. And it says that anyone found guilty of showing a hint of festive spirit, <laughs> it actually says that, a hint of festive spirit, will be fined five shillings, which I think must have been a huge amount of money back then in, in the 1600s. It must have been massive. So Christmas was outlawed, and so there was no Christmas in America until after the American Revolution, and it leaked in a little bit. But it didn't really take off there or in England again until along come two fantastic authors. And the author in America was, was Irving, and um, he did the book uh, about um, Jeffrey Crayon, the gentleman, and he, it was a fictional, a fictional book, and um, and he, he wrote about an English mansion where he showed that the English aristocracy and the servants can live in perfect harmony, and they had all these lovely traditions, gave each other presents at Christmas and stuff like that, and it really resonated because at the time in America, there were riots everywhere, there were starvation riots, bread riots, uh, unemployment riots, and it was have and have not, and. What Irving was trying to do through his writing was to try and show that those who have, to show a bit of compassion for those who have not, and that would eliminate the need for any anarchy. And it achieved it. And people resonated with it, and they, they started to, to pick the traditions that were written in that book. Around about the same time in England, we have, um, obviously, a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, who did a very similar thing. He tried to draw attention to the plight of the workhouses and to show the aristocracy and those who have, if you show just this little bit of compassion, you can make all the difference in the world. And those who have not won't resent you because you have, but you'll have a coming together in a peace. And that, was, that resonated and that took off. And people started to adopt the religions that were written about fictionalized in both of those books. And that's what our Christmas has become. All this nonsense, this glorious nonsense I love. Um, but round about this time of year, I always come across people who, who claim Christmas is theirs. You know, it's, a, it's, it's our Christian tradition. It's, a, it's about the birth of a character, Jesus Christ, even though there's no hint in the Bible whatsoever of the day that he was born. And, uh, you know, they, they refuse to believe anything else. And so, so I like to put this out there just to say, you know, the world is chaotic. We know that from the last couple of years. If you hadn't figured this out yet, <laughs> 
those in authority have no idea what they're doing. They're making it up as they go along, and the world is chaos. And out of chaos comes sometimes these wonderful patterns of behavior. And one of the best patterns of behavior we've ever produced, I think, is, is a Christmas tradition. So I love it for all of that reason. I love it for the chaos. And I love it that we hold on to these traditions as if, as if they have any kind of meaning. And they don't. It's just a great opportunity to eat more than is healthy, to drink more than we should, and to tell those that we love that we love them. And what better opportunity do you need to, to have a celebration than that? So, so I am actually enjoying Christmas, even though this is my first Christmas on my own, and, and I obviously, you know, miss Lynn more than words can say. I don't have words for it actually. But out of all, out of all pain, always comes, you know, a shining light. And so I have a close group of friends who I have to say this year, they have not allowed me to isolate. In the darkest times, those dark moments that you, many of you going through grief will, will understand what I'm talking about. In those dark moments, they made sure somehow that they were magically there all the time, in a, in a text or a phone call or, or in person. And they, they invited me to all kinds of things. I'm sure half the time they didn't want me at their family celebrations and their friend celebrations, but they invited me and, and made me go and stop me isolating and help me get through it. And so. If any of those watch this video, I don't know whether they will or not, but if any of them do, you know, f from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for the compassion you've shown to me this year. The true reflection of what Christmas is all about, I think. So, uh, so I will make sure this Christmas to take time to thank each one of them from the bottom of my heart. And so that's what this is about. So I hope whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you take the opportunity this Christmas just to say thank you to those people you love. Not to take Christmas seriously, but to realize that it's a pattern out of chaos and there's something beautiful about that, something to celebrate just about that. And um, I hope you have a really, really happy Christmas. Thank you. <laughs>